Good morning, Hillcrest. As you can see, I'm not David. Um, my name is Bruce Davis, and uh, I've had the joy of, of leading and being a volunteer with kids' ministry for quite some time. Uh, my wife and I um, have been attending Hillcrest since 2006, and I look back, and I've been teaching kids um, children's ministry for about 25 years. So um, full disclosure, though, I'm an engineer and introvert. So I am unlike David, and I shared this in first service. Um, I'll add a little bit more, augment it. But whenever David tells a story of getting on an airplane, do any other introverts have that shiver run up your spine of thinking he's going to sit next to me and want to talk? I do that every time he shares that story because I'm the one who's going, I just want to go where I'm going safely and be done. Um, I, as an introvert, I also have a limited number of words to say any given day. If I stop mid-sentence, you'll know I've reached that quota, and I'm sorry, you'll have to watch the video from the first service to see it. So um, that said, I would kind of like to start off, we're looking in the, in the book of Luke, and throughout the, the preceding several weeks, months, we've looked at the entrance of the king. Right now, we're, we're looking into the teachings of the king, teachings of Jesus. Last few weeks, you saw healing. Uh, we saw calling the disciples. Today, we're kind of focusing in on one aspect, um, as we said, meals with Jesus. So we're going to look at meals Jesus ate. Necessarily what, but meals he ate, why he ate them, and who he ate them with, for what purpose. So we're kind of drilling into this and seeing it from a biblical perspective, but also what can we take away into our own lives today in Oregon? So that's the the focus we're going on. And a meal with Jesus. Now I have fewer kids this service, um, and I do involve the kids. So it's dangerous when you ask somebody who works with kids. I don't work with animals, but I've heard children and animals are unpredictable. Kids are unpredictable, and it may get a little chaotic, and I warn my kids teaching down there in the activity center, buckle up because it may get rowdy for part of this. Kids, are you ready to kind of help your parents get a little more energetic? Because sometimes parents are a little stuffy, you know, they're kind of like boring sitting there. So parents, if your kids nudge you, say you're supposed to do something, you can do it. And kids, I'm also going to need some help today. I'm going to need helpers. So if you're willing to come up as part of it, keep that in mind. But my question to you guys would be a meal with Jesus. What do you bring to the table? Now, I work with children, so children are very literal. What do you bring to the table as a kid? What would you bring? Yes? Fish sticks. Fish sticks. Excellent. (laughs) Anything else? What would you bring to the table? Yes? Cheese curds. Excellent. Yes, back there. Dessert pizza. Ooh, that's fancy. Anything else? Anything else? We have regular pizza? Hmm? I had mac and cheese first service. So, yes? That'd be good. So, here's the thing. When we ask this question to kids, what do you bring to the table? The mind immediately goes to what do you bring to serve? Now, why do you bring those things? You like them, right? Fish sticks, dessert pizza. You bring things to make the table inviting, to make it somewhere you want to go, right? So if I say that to kids and show the picture, that's where their mind goes. Let me pose the same question to parents. What do you bring to the table, parents? 
Is there a different context that your parents think about this? School. So here's the thing. I'm going to need helpers because now we're going to look through what do you bring to the table doesn't necessarily mean physically. It's what is in your bag, what's in your portfolio. But kids don't carry portfolios. They carry backpacks. So I'm going to invite kids up, and I'm going to show you something. And if you can, uh, can basically say, oh, I like this. I'm good at it. Come on up. Any kids good at, say, math, handwriting? They're not going to come up. They're all hidden. Come on up. Come on up. I'm just going to let you hold these, and we'll come back. What are you good at? Oh, how about this? What are these things? I don't read these. These are foreign to me. Anyone do music? Who does music? Music? Okay. Hold that one. Anybody math? Math. Anybody handwriting? All right. Here's the thing. Some of the things that parents think bringing to the table are kind of your resume, your CV, your abilities, what you've done. Where'd my backpack go? Thank you. All right. Something else. Click next. Here's the thing. Sometimes, anyone know what this is? What is it? Uh, soccer jersey. Soccer jersey. You hold that? Okay. I'm going to ask you guys to bring them back up later on so you can take them with you at the end, but, but bring them back up. They're not yours to keep. Soccer. So it's like activity, your health, fitness. You can bring that to the table, right? What you can do physically. It's another thing. Click once more, please. What else? How about this? Anyone good with this? Anyone good at saving money? You good at saving? Oh, yeah. There we go. Okay. You can bring that. You can bring your finances to the table. Sometimes as adults, we think of these things, right? What do you bring to the table as attributes, kind of defining you, right? Uh, let's see. Anybody here a good friend? Oh, there's a lot of good friends, I'm sure. I'm going to share this out. All right. Well, this is to practice on your smiles to be good friends, right? Practice on... Oh, I'll give this in here. Give this one here. And give this one here. All right. Practice on those smiles, because if you're inviting, you have a, a welcoming, isn't that part of your attribute? It's what you bring to the table. Now, this one I know specifically is very important. Um, I had one of our children that was a very methodical, what are we going to do today? I need to know the plan for the whole day. Anyone like you are like this, aren't you? To cross off the list of what are we doing today, I need to know because I need to get it on my schedule so I can do it. And lastly, I know somebody here. Anybody here good? You're just going to volunteer for everything, aren't you? Yeah, I like drawing. Anyone like drawing? Oh, there's a drawer over here. I know somebody. Will you hold that for me? Here's the thing. Sometimes kids look at aspirations to become something someday. So looking ahead to the future. Anyone here like plan things out and really meticulous how you get there, like a five-step plan of going from here to there? Okay, you guys can sit down with these, but when I call you back up, will you bring them back up for me? Yeah. Thank you. Here's the thing. Parents, oftentimes we think we need to bring something to the table or what we have isn't sufficient. Sometimes that's something that goes through our heads. So what's in your bag is really kind of an inventory side is what I want you to think about at the beginning. But we see today a man who brings something to the table. He has something. We learn the story of Levi in the book of Luke. And we see this at the beginning, after this. Now, 
whenever, again, I'm an engineer, so I'm very analytical. When I see these words after this, I want to look back and see what we're talking about because things happened before. After this, and it's almost like the beginning of a bad joke. We, we see, you know, uh, a, a, uh, a demon-possessed man, a leper, and a paralytic encounter Jesus. It's like the beginning of a strange joke. But the thing is, these three things were healing. Jesus went out and healed those in need. He also called men to himself, disciples, fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we hear that story. But let me read through this, and we'll, we'll get a context for where we're going today. And I'm going to give, kind of give you a, a guide path of how I'm going to get there. So this is from Luke, um, and thank you, for Mari, for reading. Luke 5, 27 to 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast at his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So how do we go through Levi's life encounter with Jesus today? I'm looking at it as a big picture idea of Levi record, or Luke records uh, Jesus' life-changing call of Levi that leads him to do certain things, leads him to reevaluate his priorities and become an active participant in the kingdom-building mission of the king. You see, Levi's affected by two simple words, follow me, and changes his life forever. He hears the call, weighs the cost, makes a decision, and then follows through with action. Those are the areas I want you guys to look at today as we go through the story. You may have heard it before, and sometimes I tell the kids, it's a short scripture verse we're going to look through, but it might take me two or three hours to go through it. I'm not going to go that long, but this is a meaty one with a lot of ideas built into it. So let me pray for us before we get into the Word, and then we can uh, step into de- 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 to detail for the story. So, Father God, you are so good. Um, I just thank you for the ability to come together as a body to, to hear your truth. But I pray that um, whatever I say and do will get out of your way, Lord, that uh, your will will be done. Um, I won't be a anything to restrain or hinder your, your truth from falling on open ears and open hearts. Just thank you for this day again. We pray that the, the, the lesson of Levi will uh, make lifelong changes in the way we look at others, in the way that we uh, consider how we make decisions. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, again, I work with kids, so elementary specifically, and David uses a lot of texts. I tend to use a lot of pictures, so you're going to get a little bit of both flavors today. You're going to have some text, and you have pictures. Kids enjoy seeing and understanding through visuals. So, um, and these are actually all from a Lumo Project high high res photos that are taken in the Holy Land of actors going through, acting out scripture. So it's a very intricate method of of conveying it. So, Levi, who is he? Well, we find out two things about him, three things actually. One is name, Levi. After this, 
he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Well, we learned two things about him right away. He's a tax collector, and he is sitting at the tax booth. So you can imagine he is just doing his job. Everyday guy. The problem is we don't really have a context for what a tax collector was. Um, besides an engineer, I also am a kind of history geek. I like looking back at the details that went on to give kind of greater flavor to what's happening. So everyone is probably preparing or getting ready to prepare their taxes this year or putting it off until the last minute, maybe. The thing is, tax collecting in the Roman world looked different. You see, it started with the Roman Republic. See, Rome expanded over centuries to occupy a space roughly the size of the United States. Huge territory. And you've heard of Julius Caesar. He was not an emperor. He actually was a dictator early on that threw Rome into civil war, in and out. And ultimately, the empire starts with the first emperor, Augustus, Octavian. We hear this from Luke 2, if you remember. Calls a census, Caesar Augustus. This is the Augustus Caesar that we read in Luke 2. So the thing is, they had this huge expanse of control. Rome did. And uh, Augustus was not emperor at this time. It was his predecessor, um, adopted son Tiberius. But the thing is, Rome had expanded to the point that they controlled territories. They controlled Judea, Israel. They controlled modern-day France. And the thing was, they needed taxes to build the roads, to construct things, and to line the coffers of the emperor. They didn't send tax collectors out from Rome. They did something different. They actually took tax collectors from the local population. And it wasn't just hiring them. Those tax collectors were actually bidders. They would bid to the Roman government the amount of taxes they would produce. So it would be like your neighbor saying, knocking on the door, coming over, saying, you know what, you owe. Rome needs it. The interesting thing was, this was an auction position to the highest bid to Rome. Now, if your neighbor came over, you may slam the door and say, no, I'm not paying you taxes. And that's exactly the response the Israelites had. This was my neighbor. They're viewed as traitors. A tax collector was viewed as a traitor. He was associating with Rome, collecting taxes, and sending them away from God's chosen people, Israel. So they're viewed as traitors. Here's an interesting thing. They're outcasts. A tax collector's testimony was not admissible in Jewish court. So they're basically siloed. They're alone in community, but not part of community. They were also known as extortionists, thieves, because the deal was Rome needed their taxes, but the tax collector could charge whatever he wanted to and keep the rest. So it was a benefit to the tax collector to take in as much as possible to line his own pockets. And oftentimes they were wealthy and powerful because they were generally untouchable, protected by Rome. You see, the tax collector was reviled by the rest of society. This was not somebody you would associate with. 
This was a traitor, an outcast, a non-person to the Jews. That's our Levi that we're seeing. So see this from his perspective and see it from others' perspective, seeing him. You see, Levi is doing his normal job. He's going about his day. The tax collector is sitting at the tax booth when one day something happens. Now, there's no record of of Levi having seen Jesus heal the the paralytic lowered through the floor. There's no record of him being at the seaside watching him call Peter and Andrew. But you can imagine Levi being in the area would have certainly heard of Jesus, probably heard of the miracles, and probably was intrigued. But watch what happens. Jesus comes up to Levi in his place and says two simple words, follow me. It's kind of a strange call. It wasn't a long sermon. It wasn't a discussion on the kingdom of God. It wasn't anything related to sin. It was simply follow me. Levi hears this, and now the problem becomes he needs to weigh the cost. You see, Scripture doesn't show us this, but I imagine from being a tax collector, dealing with numbers, um, being an engineer and being very analytical, this would be my mindset. So look at this as Bruce saying what I would do, but I think it holds valid for kind of what we do today. You see, Levi could have weighed the cost. He's looking at his profession. He's comfortable. He's got something to do. He's secure in that. No one's coming to take it away. Matter of fact, he has a fixed income, a nice income, probably a wealthy man. He's got his time. He does his tax collecting at the booth, goes home and does whatever else he needs to. Does this kind of sound like sometimes we do in our own lives to just go through the steps and forget? He had a social standing. Now, this wasn't in Jewish society. This was in the tax collector in Rome. He was respected. He's a tax collector, and guess what? He's safe. Again, no problem with Levi because Rome has his back. Now, can you imagine making a decision to stop what you're doing and follow somebody you don't know? And that's exactly what Levi was confronted with that day. He was confronted by considering all of his frumph. And I said this first service, you know because you were here. And Mari. Everyone has a bunch of frumph. Sometimes we have more frumph than we need, and sometimes that frumph gets in the way of following Jesus. Not that it's a bad thing, but when you put too much focus It can become that. What is frumph? Well, it's a made-up word. Future. Sometimes we put into our minds our future plans driving our decisions. We look at where we are and how we're getting to the next step as in stone and kind of raise it to the next level of guiding everything we do. Reputation. What will others think of me if I were to be a bold follower of Jesus? Money. 
It's a big one. Money is a concern. And again, none of these are bad in and of themselves. Caring about finances and being a good steward of what you've been blessed with is important. But when you elevate these to the point of driving your decisions, that can be the problem. Power, F-R-M-P. Anyone like to be in control, in charge, aspire to that corner office, make the decisions, not yield? Things can happen that drive us in that direction. Time, this is one for me. As an engineer, I book my time, I fill things in, I know what I'm doing, and sometimes I weigh the cost of investing time as a waste instead of an investment. And lastly, health. We saw last week, looking at Jesus' healing power to heal physically, I would say healing the spiritual content of our soul is more important. And sometimes we put ourselves in charge of all of these. Again, it's not bad. None of these are necessarily wrong. The problem is when you consider things, think of frumpf. Think of one of aspects, maybe more. It's when we elevate that onto a pedestal. And we think about certain things driving the decisions that we make today to follow Jesus or choose to follow Jesus. Frump can get elevated, and I'm, again, the engineer, there's three legs because they're stable. It gives you stability. I'm going to build three points off of it. Frump can be built up by our thoughts. What do you wake up thinking about? Is something on your mind when you least expect it that affects you into decisions? What about something that feeds your fears? You worry at the loss of something in the frumpf list. Finally, what pulls your attention and energy? Those are the things you can look at to, to self-reflect and say, what might be clouding my full-on following of Christ? Just as a personal thought, keep that in mind because we go back to our story. Levi hears the call. I imagine that he considers these things. Follow me is what Jesus said. And the amazing thing is, Levi makes the decision. He rises, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Kids, I'm going to need your help. Bring your things back up. Ugh. Hold on. Not yet. You know, the, you know the game. Okay. I have to do this one first. All right. Levi turns to follow Jesus. But does it change who Levi is? See, everything that was in his bag defined him, me. You can put it in. Oh, head back down, sit with your folks. Ugh. Thank you. All right. You can go right down those stairs. Thank you. You can drop it right in. You got quite a pile. And the soccer jersey. Perfect. You see, me turned around. 
it doesn't change who Levi was. He still has the same attributes. When Levi made the choice to follow Jesus, you see, what he did was realize that what he had is his. Following Jesus is an all-in. You bring what you have and use it for the king. Levi does just that. Because the next thing he does, he rises and follows through, not by selling all that he had, not by giving up his home. He walked away from being a tax collector, but watch who he turns to. Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. What does Levi do? He encounters Jesus, realizes this is a better way, reflects and changes, and first thing he does, he calls those who he is closest to who are in need of a savior. He calls other tax collectors and others, not just to experience Jesus. He calls them to a feast in his house. Now, has anyone here ever had a wedding invitation? Probably. Some of you may be sending out wedding invitations. Um, but the thing is, what is a feast in biblical times? When we look through Scripture, we see these aspects to a feast. I'm going to break it into three areas. First of all, there's an invitation. A feast was normally given a long invitation prior to it. Just like you receive a wedding, save the date. The save the date is there to remember you've got this coming up. Don't schedule anything on it. Oftentimes in biblical times, it would be a second invitation would occur when the feast was ready. Come to the table. So an invitation is the first aspect to the feast. The second point, it is very intentional. A feast was not haphazard. There was a reason behind it. It could be from sealing friendships, settling disputes, joyous celebrations or victories, you see, a feast was very intentional and invitational, invited with a purpose. And lastly, something that might have gotten glossed over, when you read that passage, you hear others were reclining at the table. Reclining. A feast is very intimate. It's meant to be in close proximity. I shared this after the service, first service. Normally, it would be a low table, and... The, the place of honor would be to the right of the, the host because they would literally recline in that direction. Reclining was a very intimate, close-knit, relation-building situation. So a feast is not just coming over to eat. It has the invitation, the intention of what the purpose is, and intimate relation-building. Levi does just that invites other tax collectors to see and treasure Jesus as he had. And the scribes and Pharisees, 
grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, the, the, the ones who knew should have known best, the leaders of the, the law, scribes and Pharisees, looked at who the disciples and Jesus were eating with rather than why he was eating with them. You see, they had the, the law of what is clean and what is unclean and kept them separate. Tax collectors were considered unclean, therefore you should not even associate with them. That's counterintuitive to what Jesus did. Jesus answers them and says this, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Anyone have an upcoming doctor appointment? How long did it take to get in? That, not probably right away. We look at Jesus as the great physician. Sometimes when we look at healing of our physical body and we're working with doctors and medical community, which is a good thing. My wife is part of one, a nurse. Jesus, the great physician, is looking at the condition of the soul. Jesus, the great physician, is on call all time. There is no waiting list. There is no referral. There is no, I need to reschedule because my calendar got full. He's always available. Jesus, as the great physician, gives the right diagnosis. The condition of the soul, sin, blocks us from God separates us. Jesus makes the correct diagnosis. There's no need for a second opinion to find out. Maybe there's another alternative I can use. This isn't the case. Jesus, the great physician, is available, provides the correct diagnosis, provides the perfect cure. There is no next series of medicines. He is the cure for what ails our sinful hearts. And the most beautiful thing is Jesus paid the price. He pays the bill. You see, the whole purpose of Jesus' coming wasn't to associate in the holy huddle with those religious. Jesus says it right here. There's no reason to come as a physician to heal the well but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The whole purpose of Jesus coming to Levi is to say, follow me. Not just a follow the leader kind of following, but go where I go, do what I do for the purposes I do. It's a purpose-driven following. Levi does just that. He adopts what Jesus is doing. Call sinners to repentance. How do you do that? And what does it do for us today? I started this whole thing off with what do you bring to the table? And anyone who is over-anxious and writes what, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to change it to who. Who do you bring to the table? See, Levi didn't think about what he brought to the table. Levi was still Levi, but his purpose was now in line with the king. 
who can you bring to the table? We look at this from a number of aspects. It might be yourself. Maybe you're still wrestling with who is this Jesus. Maybe you're not quite sure and you're still battling or putting something ahead. Pastor David would love to talk to you. I would talk to someone. Yourself may be brought to the table. The two words Jesus said to Levi are just as true today. Follow me. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone sleeping in the bedroom down the hall, moms and dads. Maybe it's your friends, those you associate with, you consider friends. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's your social group, those you associate with but don't necessarily call friends. We would say they're acquaintances. And maybe, just maybe, it's your coworkers, those you just go to work like Levi on your everyday basis and kind of are in automatic mode. I'm going to give you guys a challenge, and this is a strange one. Kids, hold your parents accountable to this. Parents, hold your kids accountable. I want you to go home and set the table. Take a place setting, at least one, and set it at your kitchen table. Placemat, napkin, fork, knife, spoon, cup, plate. I did this. We did it at our table. Didn't tell my wife why we were doing it. And every time she walked past, I was like, oh, are we having a party? It's, it's an odd invitation where you put this out there, and I want you to pray over it this week and think about who you can invite into relationship. Again, it's not a prepare a long sermon to describe to invite someone into your home to share your time together. Meals with Jesus, set the table, pray over it this week, and follow through. Let me pray for us. Father God, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for the, the, the word. I thank you for the, the lesson of Levi, Lord, what we hear from his, his steps following you, that we can be bold, resourceful, uh, empowered to follow you fully, to, to be fully invested in your mission building as the king. We thank you again for the day. We just pray, Lord, as, as we worship, that you are the focus of our thoughts and prayers, and you get all the glory. Name me, pray. Amen.